0: i got to feel as though I need to continue singing the song because there's no way on this program to kind of fade it out. It's just a dead stop. So if I do bust into some Diana Ross and the Supremes, do forgive me. Uh, but welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Ken Sims. And I thought it might be, but I don't think it quite is. However, I am going to claim that it is the fifth anniversary episode, more or less. I think the podcast began in 2018 in... Uh, I'm just going to... I should have really done my research here into my own show, but I'm pretty sure that it began pretty much in kind of... When is it? February the 12th. There you go. It began on February the 12th, and I don't know if I'll have another episode before then, so it's kind of a five-year anniversary of VUX World, uh, and... It's To celebrate, not just to celebrate that, but it's kind of coinciding with that, the EU Chatbot Summit in March, on March the 15th and 16th, VUX World is running a track at the uh, EU Chatbot Summit, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. We've got Vodafone, Love Holidays, Decathlon, LNER, uh, Total Jobs Group, a whole bunch of really good brands who are sharing their case studies and insights into how they're creating conversational AI for enterprise automation, and it's going to be amazing. If you go to the European EuropeanChatbot.com. You can save thirty percent on your tickets right now by using the promo code VUXEU23. That's promo code VUXEU23 at the European chatbot.com. Com, and I look forward to seeing you there. We've got a very good uh, little party going on as well on the uh, Tuesday night, the night before the VUX World track on the 16th. And so it's going to be good. Get yourself to Edinburgh, have some haggis and have some uh, some beers and uh, come and join us. It's going to be immense. Uh, and also speaking of immense, this conversation today is going to be immense. Uh, I am joined by Cogler G CEO, Philip Heltevig and also the SVP of Business Development and Strategy and contact center, legend, and stroke veteran, Hardy Myers. Hardy, Phil, <laughs> welcome to VOX World. Thank uh, <laughs> you. Thank you. How's, how's it going? Thank you, I still have to have that kind of intro. Yeah, um, yeah, you kind of do. Uh, very close, Phil, to being uh, your third occasion on, on VOX World. One more, and you get the, uh, the gold cap of honor got one right. here ready right, but yeah. uh, one more one more episode to go uh so yeah thank you for joining me appreciate it how is how is things all good
1: yeah everything's great we had a great start to the year obviously um a lot happening in the industry all of a sudden everyone's talking chatbots microsoft <laughs> open ai google my dad was 78 years old everyone's <laughs> talking chatbots and how amazing they are so yeah couldn't have been better really
0: yeah it's pushed it into the kind of uh mainstream hasn't it now i was talking to nick frost i don't know if you heard uh i don't know if that's actually if we've published it yet but the back end of last week nick frost from, from core here and uh I was kind of saying, like, why is it taking so long for conversational AI to hit the mainstream? And why wasn't it Alexa that did this or Siri that did this? And he was saying basically that fundamentally, uh, the technology that Siri and Alexa is built on is fundamentally flawed and it was never going anywhere and it disappoints more people than it actually impresses. Whereas transformer-based LLMs uh, and large language models they don't suffer from that same problem and so he kind of puts it down to obviously chat gpt um but the the kind of the difference in technology basically i don't know what you both think in terms of why you think is it just chat gpt like what is it about chat gpt that has all of a sudden just like threw this topic <laughs> into the minds of of uh, of your dad phil
1: yeah so i guess why wasn't it Alexa? Is the technology flawed? I can't, I can't say too much about that. But um, what is it that that made ChatGPT unique? I think it's really the accessibility of the technology, right? The technology underpinning um, ChatGPT has existed for quite a little bit longer, right? Even though there's newer models that are now powering ChatGPT, etc. The GPT transformer technology has existed for quite a, a bit longer. But what they essentially did is they built an awesome demo based on it, which is ChatGPT, right? And uh, I think the versatility, the accessibility, is really so easy for, for anyone to use, right? Before ChatGPT, you had to use APIs to, to access the transformers to get the answers or to use some API playground. But with uh, with ChatGPT, you can really just go in and, and have a chat, right, as the name implies, and uh, get actually really, really good answers. And there's some... Amazing things it can do, and I don't think I have to describe those here. Everyone knows. But uh, like my dad is—he's German. He only speaks German, and he—he uh, he can go in and just type something in German, and it's just going to answer in German, right? You don't have to have any settings that it should now answer in German or something like that. I think it's really the first time where, or the first time that, that people played with an AI that really seems to deserve the name, right? Because because when when we think of AIs, we think of the stuff a computer or maybe the Terminator who is not the most positive AI, but at least he, he also has a really good LLM built in to, to speak. Right? <laughs> but um, it's it's those kind of AIs that that we think about and, and how we communicate with them, right? C3PO, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really the language ability that makes these AIs stand out. Because AI is of course a bit of a it's a bit of a marketing term, right? It's machine learning. Machine learning has been used for many amazing things, right? Generating images fraud detection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a really tangible example now of an AI slash machine learning technology built in an awesome demo that anyone can use, that anyone can use for free as long as it's available. We've seen that it, it had some problems with load and where the results are really at a level where you would say, okay, this really for the first time feels like me speaking with a semi-sanctioned, it's not sanction, of course, but something that feels like that, right? Like really like an AI. So I think that, that really made all the difference.
0: Mm. What were your thoughts, Hadi? What have you noticed since since the... Yeah, yeah no, the I agree with Phil. That- I just think
2: that automation is such a focal point for businesses and to see uh, this technology, you know, sort of bloom right in front of us as it has via this chat DPT demo, as Phil mentioned, has is, is really gotten everybody reinvigorated, I
0: would say, about it. Mm. What I'll say is a pet hate of mine. Not a pet hate. Hate's a strong word. Pet peeve is how a, a lot of things that have happened since the dawn of ChatGPT are not necessarily ChatGPT related, but they use the ChatGPT name in order to kind of, I suppose, capitalize on on the hype, so to speak. Like I won't mention the, the provider, but there was something announced uh, either this morning or yesterday, not Google, but some, some other, which is chat GPT infused platform kind of thing and it's like fair enough you might be using GPT three or three point five which is the underlying language model of ChatGPT, GPT but it doesn't have the the reinforcement learning on top of it it doesn't have the kind of additional training that chat GPT has gone through to get it to what you've just described Phil which is that open conversational interface that you can ask it anything and it'll respond to you conversationally so it's 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 strictly it's not strictly using chat GPT um yet there is it seems as though, and I won't get onto the YouTube situation, I don't know if you've been on YouTube and you saw how many videos there is about how to make $8,000 a day using ChatGPT, how to use ChatGPT to set up XYZ businesses. And it's all of this kind of like, seems to me to be fairly shady kind of goings on. So on the one hand, you've got this this thing going on, which is really bringing this technology into the mainstream and into the limelight, which is great for companies like G great for companies like us that kind of cover this sort of stuff and consult in this area. But at the same time, you've got to then deal with a little bit of mixed messaging around people trying to capitalize on, on the hype, a little bit of kind of like snake oil in a sense of, of people with get-rich-quick schemes and all that kind of stuff. And my concern is a little bit like, th- does it end up kind of doing – Chat GPT and conversational AI a disservice, or, or does it paint it with a bit of a negative brush? I, I don't know what your thoughts are around some of the either the hype or some of the potential misinformation that comes along with with that attention.
1: Well, I think you, you gave a couple of examples there, right? And um, I think anyone, uh, at least myself, I've also probably been guilty of, of calling it Chat GPT when I should have said GPT instead. In our webinar that we did, we called it generative AI which uh, isn't a great term either. Even Sam Altman said that uh, he really hopes this term doesn't stick. Should we call it GPT? It is, it, GPT is, is the correct term to use, right? Because we're obviously using the GPT-3 uh, APIs. But then of course, if you use ChatGPT and you get five times the signups to whatever you're doing, then you're just gonna use ChatGPT, right? And yeah, it's, it's somewhat despicable, but then you could also say, when AI first came around, not first, but in this newest wave, uh, every product claimed it's AI-powered, even though only 10% were AI-powered. So it's kind of mm-hmm. the same. This is marketing. Now, of course, looking at some of the more, more shady schemes out there, that, that is, of course, despicable. I think that's normal, though, with any, any type of new technology that comes out. People are trying to capitalize on it. And uh, maybe you should have tried. Yeah, I bought my newest watch by following this video, and then I made 8 a day, and I bought the watch. Yeah. <laughs> So, no, that's it. That's, 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 it. Actually, that's not actually the case, but I did come up with, um, whilst using ChatGPT, I, I came up with a, with a couple of business ideas uh, myself. Where I thought, you know, what if I weren't doing cognitive, I would just do that. Like one example is my um, my dad. Well, we're speaking a lot about my dad here on this podcast. My dad um, got a health check done, and then when you when you leave the doctor, you get this this doctor's letter, and it's full of terms that that normal human beings cannot comprehend. So we said, okay, um, how, how do we make sense of it other than calling the doctor? And we just copied the whole thing into ChatGPT, obviously, without a name. And I said, like, can you please summarize this for someone who doesn't know a lot about medicine? And it came out with, a, with mm. actually a perfect explanation of what it was. We know it's perfect because we actually did show it to a doctor. And I thought, you know what? You can make a business just from that, right? It's yeah. a bot on WhatsApp that you have and you go like, send me anything you don't understand and I'm going to explain it to you. Mm. And um, so there are actually... A lot of amazing opportunities and, and let's not forget, we've all really just started with this. Okay. Mm. Two months ago, most people had never even heard of Chat GPT or GPT for the matter, or large language models, right? Of course, we had heard about it being in the industry and, and doing research around this, but most people had not heard about it. And now everyone's heard about it, right? You can go to the supermarket and the cashier has heard about it. <laughs> so we are at, at the very beginning of the emergence of a type of machine learning slash artificial intelligence tool set, right? That is going to have such a big impact on, on so many areas of our lives, right? Whether that, obviously when it's at work, but also in, in our private lives. I think this is a new AI revolution that has just started someone compared it to, um, to the release of the first iPhone. I think this is, not, uh, this is not an exaggeration. I think it might be even bigger than that, right? The, Im- the impact and what's especially astonishing, I mean, the first iPhone was released. I, I I didn't buy the first one. I think I bought the third one. So it took even me as a techie a while to, to adopt this technology. Now mm-hmm. we're talking, uh, I think someone, uh, I read it somewhere that ChatGPT um, is close to 100 million users, right? And, and it's been out for like two months or something like that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's right, and so the, The speed of the adoption was crazy. The ease of the adoption was crazy. I mean, we we integrated it within four weeks into our platform, as as you know. Mm -hmm. And um, but even even large companies like Microsoft, Microsoft has already brought um, brought out the first tools that are powered by GPT technology, right? With uh, I think it's Viva Sales, they brought out. um, It's crazy how fast all of this is moving. so yeah there's a of course coming back to your question that there's always some negatives, but I think overall this is a super exciting time and uh, for us uh, it's the best thing that, that could happen uh, with AI because now everyone's talking about it. and you asked the question, why wasn't it Alexa? Why wasn't it pre- prior chatbots? I think previously everyone when, when you asked them about bots, they recounted their negative experiences that they've had mm-hmm. one of them. Now, when you ask someone about bots, they're talking about the amazingly positive experience they have had with, uh, with ChatGPT and related technology, right? So I guess, especially for our industry, it's also extremely positive.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Um, Winston's gone mental downstairs. My son must've just come in from school. He always wants to be on the podcast, Winston. If he's not down here trying to get some, some camera time, he's, uh, he's barking downstairs. (laughs) Uh, So, so that kind of, kind of draws another, another kind of question, which, um, which I posted something yesterday or the day before on on LinkedIn, which was, I remember the guy's name because it's a cool name, Michael Jackson, some venture capitalist fella uh, with a pretty cool name. Uh, he posted one of these memes, which I'm pretty sure you've seen before, and, and I've seen this doing the rounds over the last few years, but it recirculated again, which is, um, it's like a, fo- a cartoon of Scooby, Scooby-Doo, the cartoon. And there's a... Um, one of the kind of bad guys is wearing a mask and it says something like AI company. And then the second part of the meme is the masks being taken off. And then underneath it says GPT three. And the post was basically saying like, cue the next generation of companies that have AI in their name. And they're passing themselves off as AI companies. Um, And there was a really interesting discussion going on in that thread, which I think it'd be good to get your kind of perspectives on, like, because there's tools, like, it's different for cognitive because you're integrating LLMs into a platform that already exists. It's got a bunch of different features. It already has found product market fit. It's already a product. It's already a thing that utilizes lots of different capabilities of AI. Whereas there's other companies that have just been created in the last year or two that Are essentially solely built on top of GPT-3 exclusively, and very many of them not actually using any other language models, just GPT-3. That call themselves AI company. You know, there's a lot of writing assistants, for example, that were pretty much just GPT-3 under the hood. You put a a paragraph of text in there, and it'll pick out like long sentences or whatever it might be, or it'll it'll write you a blog post and get you started with your marketing copy, whatever. And so, the, the the discussion in this thread, which I thought was really interesting, was. To what degree are those companies actually AI companies? To what degree are those companies placing a whole lot of kind of risk in terms of their core USP being based on the offerings of OpenAI? The algorithm can change at any moment in time, the prices could hike at any minute. And do you really have basically sellable IP in that case? Or is it the equivalent of using AWS for hosting your website? You know, are we getting to do do you see, I'd be interested to get both your perspectives on this? Do you think that the large language models provided by OpenAI, obviously there's others, Cohere, AI twenty one, et cetera, et cetera, oh. are they essentially going to be the equivalent of cloud infrastructure where everyone's utilizing them and it's just the foundations of things and and it's no risk really to have that infrastructure as a core part of your kind of product offering? Or do you see it being kind of a little bit of a risk where a lot of these companies don't really have a USP. They're basing a, a large part of their whole USP on a third party that can change at any minute. Like, I'm just curious about your thoughts about how you see, maybe Hardy will start with you and then go to film. Like, how do you see that kind of playing out, companies that are being built on top of open API exclusively?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think short answer is Microsoft making a huge investment into it and uh, making it available via Azure is pretty much the legitimization of it that um, certainly enterprises would look at um, as they're considering using the technology going forward.
0: Mm. Interesting. What do you think, Phil, do you think that there is, you know, again, from cognitive's perspective, you know, you utilize a lot of different technologies from either speech recognition or speech to text and support for various different NLU systems and stuff like that. Like and for me, that's kind of as a platform, you sort of need to do that. You need to be sort of open and not necessarily put all of your eggs in one basket. But if you look at other companies, like some of those maybe writing assistants or sort of things, I know they're different companies, but like is it is it kind of wise to put all of your eggs in, in the open AI basket or or not? Sure.
1: Well, firstly, about the cartoon that you refer to, this is actually the, I mean, the, just to reiterate what you said, so that uh, it's a Scooby Doo cartoon. There's a hooded figure and it says AI on top, and then they pull off the hood and then it says ChatGPT, right? Yeah. This is actually the, the second version of this cartoon. I don't know if you've ever seen the first version where, so this was before ChatGPT came around, they pull off the hood and then it says if then else. Right? If, so if,
0: yeah, if this then, that, then that, yeah. Before, yeah.
1: If then else. And now it's, uh, it's ChatGPT. So I, I would argue that, um, well, I, I guess you're asking two questions, right? The first one is, is it going to become a, a, a base technology, fundamental technology that others will build on top of? I think uh, my answer to that is, is definitely yes. I'll get into why in a second. The second question is: Do I think it's wise to put all of your eggs in one basket? I guess this is uh, this depends on the business, right? I mean, there are businesses that are offering uh, CRMs uh, based on on WeChat. Right. Yeah. Okay, what if WeChat changes the APIs? What if WeChat starts charging $100,000 a day for the APIs? This is all in one basket as well, right? There are companies that are only building connectors for Salesforce. What if they shut down their APIs for that? So there is a certain level of risk, but I think it's manageable risk and it's, it's very valid to build your offering based on those types of APIs. I think, especially with large language models, that many companies will be forced uh, to build on top of existing models that are offered as a cloud service by the likes of Microsoft, what what Hardy alluded to, right? And which which also, I mean, if, if it's OpenAI, which is still a rather small U.S.-based company, or whether it's Microsoft, which has the ability to roll this out at scale across different regions, it firstly there there is the surety, okay, this this can be handled in a data privacy-compliant manner, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also Microsoft is, is the powerhouse in enterprise, and they bring this out as an API. There is literally zero risk that they're going to retire this tomorrow out of, out of nowhere, right? So I think this Hardy made a very important point there. Now, um, because of that, I think it is easier for companies to adopt it and, and to then use it as their prime large language model provider. And quite frankly, there's also no other choice, right? The the training cost for a model like GPT-3 is is outrageously high. Because there's two components to the training cost. Everyone always talks about the the GPUs and and the cycles, which goes into the, I think, five, six, seven million dollars for one training. Hmm. That's fair enough. But what's really expensive is the human feedback part of the reinforcement learning through human feedback, which, which is what it is because there you are hiring armies of people that are sifting through the content, either cleaning the content or making sure that they're putting in the right content. Yesterday I read an article that said that uh, OpenAI had hired more than a thousand developers, software developers that were doing nothing but correcting slightly buggy code or improving on code, but not code of the machine learning models themselves, but code that the machine learning model was reading so that the model would learn how to debug code and how to spot uh, mistakes in code and, and be able to fix that. So that's a thousand developers. Now think about it, developer salaries, and then then you know how unbelievably expensive this whole um, this whole exercise is, right? And smaller companies, even though Cognigy is not not that small a startup anymore, but even for us, this is a cost that that we we could just, uh, especially for the creation of a single model um, shoulder, right? And which is why. We and many others, I think in the future, need to rely on publicly accessible models like the ones that Microsoft's offering now. Obviously, Google is planning to release something uh, this week as well. Probably Amazon, uh, IBM, and the other big cloud providers are are gonna follow suit. And then there will be open source uh, alternatives. We'll see see how good they are, right? A really good competitor has yet to emerge. But um, there will be different options in the future as well, which also removes some of the risk because just you alluded to our capability to integrate with uh, speech to text. So we integrate with uh, with Amazon, um, with Nuance, with Microsoft, uh, with other providers, IBM, uh, et cetera. And um, this takes risk out. Right. So if one of those speech to text providers shutters their doors tomorrow, and of course, they're all huge companies, probably not going to happen. But uh, there's literally zero risk because you can switch to another one, and with large language models, uh, I believe it'll it'll be an API like any other.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Google there. We'll see what happens with Google. I know they announced Bard um, yesterday, uh, kind of announced it, but then like didn't really yeah. give any indication about when it's going to be available, who's going to be available to, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like. I always take that with a pinch of salt a little bit. We'll sort of TBC on that. Maybe they'll announce it. I think it's tomorrow, is it, or the next day? They've got the the event they announced. So let's uh, let's see what happens. But let's not get into that because we've got plenty of other things to talk about regarding Cognigy. Uh, because you mentioned there, you know, at, at the sort of top of the show there, that um, you know you're working really hard at getting kind of support for large language models into the into the platform. And you mentioned the webinar as well uh, last week or the week before, and generally speaking i think the approach that you took is is a, a really smart one um i think the demos that you show as well the, the the number that you have uh i don't think it's available just yet but the conversation that you can have with this thing is is really impressive and, and you're thinking slightly differently about the role of large language models in in a typical kind of enterprise conversational ai platform so i wonder whether we could maybe start start there then you know what what is it that has been sort of announced or released in the last last fortnight or so
1: Sure. So we um, we started looking into, into the newest uh, OpenAI GPT models, so that it's dubbed uh, GPT three point five, um, uh, late last year, and we looked into use cases uh, for a platform like And There's obvious obvious use cases, right? There's a use case of generating example sentences and. I know you and I, we had an interesting chat about that, but we can, we can get to that in a second. Hmm. Generating entities uh, like uh, collections of, of of slots, right? Uh, lists of cities, airports, etc. cetera. Um, rephrasing outputs is also an interesting one where you can define an output that bot's supposed to make. So let's say um, your flight has been booked at the end of a flight booking process. But what you can do now, you can take all the user inputs in to contextualize the output, right? So it could, for example... Without me templating that, it could say, oh, Phil, uh, your flight to your honeymoon has been booked. Um, I hope you have a great time, right? So, so something like that. That's what large language models are, are really good at. And, but, but this this seems to be table stakes, right? I mean, th- this is going to be everywhere in, in any kind of program, right? Whether it's Word or Excel or PowerPoint or, or any, any content creation will be supported by generative AI, right? Whether it's large language models or whether it's these, uh, these image generation models. I think this, this will be table stakes. Um, within the next 12 months, uh, pretty much any tool that has to do with content will have uh, this type of capability built in. So we built, we built that in as well. This has already been released uh, now in, 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 uh, as a beta release. And then we thought, what else can we use it for that, it, that goes a little bit further than just uh, just doing this editorial support, so to speak? and um we came up with with three things the first thing is building a natural language understanding system that is based on large language models because at the moment when you build conversational agents in most platforms you're building up intent collections uh, with example sentences which is a rather tedious job so you build up these intents and then for example rebook flight is an intent and then you give it 10, 20, 30, 100 example sentences of different ways that someone can say this this sentence, right? I want to revoke a flight. I need to change my flight, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, have, um, uh, then you have entities that you want to extract, right? And some entities are very difficult to extract. So for example, if you want to extract a number and you say, with how many people are you coming? And then you say, well, I'm coming with four people. Well, that's easy, right? Because you said four, we can detect that. That's easy. But if you say, well, I'll be coming uh, with my wife and my two kids, that's also four, right? And for a mm-hmm. human, that's easy. But for, uh, for normal natural language understanding algorithms, that's very difficult, right? Um, but for large language models, it's very easy. I mean, you could even get more complex. You could say, well, I'm coming with my wife, my two kids, uh, but my brother is going to stay home, but my aunt Nancy is coming. That's fine, <laughs> right? So for a large language model, it's easy. For a human, it's easy which is why i think large language models will play a huge role in uh, in replacing nlu algorithms as, as we uh, as we know them um, today and that's also the discussion you and i had right if you use a large language model to generate example sentences this means the large language model knows how to say i want to rebook a flight now mm-hmm. if it knows that why do you even need to generate the example sentences why don't you just give the sentence to the model the user input and it knows that it means rebook flight in the first place and that that's exactly mm-hmm. the so we are seeing um, we are seeing a huge impact on the definition of NLU models so that's one well NLU models and energy extraction right that's one the second one is um, agent assist so the field where you have a human customer speaking to a human contact center agent and a bot or virtual agent or whatever you want to call it is listening in either on the call or the chat and providing information to the agent in real time now of course the uh, the, the bot needs to make sense of what the user has said. So again, you can use large language models to also, well, firstly, understand what the user has said, and then secondly, provide good response hints to the agent, right? And also uh, tasks like summarization, etc., uh, are tasks that large language models are really well, well suited for. And then last but not least, we are doing a lot of research into using large language models essentially as the conversation engine itself. Right. How can, yeah. and this is something we saw with the phone call example that we gave on the webinar, it's also on YouTube, you can, you can check that out. This is not fake, right? I mean, you have the number, you have, you have called okay. it. And, uh, this is the type of experience you can have once LLMs embedded into a conversational AI platform manage the conversation, right? It's completely natural. You can go off course, you can control how far you can via off course. Right. You don't want to go down a, down a rabbit hole, but um, the ability of, of large language models to hold conversations like that in a contextual way is just amazing. Right? But it is really only amazing because a platform like Cognigy maintains the context. A, co- a platform like Cognigy constructs the prompts that are being used to call the large language models. And a platform like Cognigy can also add one very important piece to the whole puzzle, which is the ability to connect against backend APIs, because LLMs cannot do that, of course. right? I think a lot of people are forgetting what LLMs really are because they seem so human-like, they seem so intelligent, but they are not intelligent, and they are not human-like. They are literally autocomplete tools. They are autocomplete mm. on steroids, and <clears throat> they're literally just that. Right, they auto-complete sentences word by word, adding the word with the highest probability. They don't have computation. They don't have other logical computational capabilities. They can't calculate numbers. Right? They can't. Uh, uh, they can't figure out if, if a date is a Monday, for example. Right? We had this example when we built this phone bot, where you call the bot, and so for example, today is the the seventh of February, right? And then you would say to the bot. I want to make an appointment for tomorrow. And then the bot would say, ah, tomorrow, uh, the, uh, first of February, uh, it, we're not available on the first of February. And you go, well, it's not the first of February, it's the eighth of February, right? Because today's the seventh. Mm-hmm. Now, if you provide the LLM the information that today is the seventh, then it would say, ah, tomorrow uh, on the, on the eighth of February, we open at uh, 10 AM. Is that fine for you? And you say yes. And then it would say, because today is uh, it's Tuesday, right? And then, you would expect it to say, okay, we've booked it for Wednesday, the 8th of February, but it would say, I've booked you in for Friday, the 8th of February. And, and <laughs> why does it do that? Because it has no concept of what 8th of February is, right? It just, it goes like, okay, I, I need to add a word here. Friday has a high probability I'm just going to add Friday,
0: right? Mm.
1: And that's why sometimes ChatGPT or GPT in general hallucinates information. So this is an hallucinated piece. But by adding, embedding it into a conversational AI platform, we can minimize such hallucinations by providing it the right context. Because if you provide it the context that today is Tuesday, the seventh of February, twenty three, then it will say, "I've booked you in for tomorrow, Wednesday, the eighth of February." Right. So we can provide the necessary context for the LLM to actually output more truthful information.
0: Mm. In that in that situation, there you need to manage a lot of context. And a lot of the, um, you know, that meme you were talking about, which is AI disguised as if this, then that statements, a lot of conversational sort of modeling is kind of a lot of that. Okay, if it's Wednesday today, then tomorrow's Thursday. And if they want to book something for four o'clock, then check if we've got availability. If we don't have availability, then offer this instead. And there is a lot of that kind of logic, basically, if this, then that. So if you're using the large language model to in this con, in this role yet all of the context is stored within Cognigy. You know, what turn of the conversation is, you know, what information you've collected so far, you know, things like dates and times, you've got integration in the backend systems, so you can pull things like appointment availability and stuff like that. What does the large language model add that Cognigy doesn't already do if you're already managing all of that context? So that,
1: that makes sense. sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So, I'll give you an example. So, you, you're very right. I mean, you can you can already with with ex- existing or before LLM's existing NLU technology and conversation AI technology, you can build very useful bots, right? So, let's say you want to uh, book an appointment. It's going to say, um, "Are you booking the appointment for yourself?" Yes. What's your first name, Kane? What's your last name, Sims? Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, if the conversation goes like this, are you, are you already an existing patient? And you say, um, I actually have no clue, how would I know? If the conversation designer has not anticipated this question when building the bot, the bot will say something like, uh, Sorry, I did not understand that. I need a yes or a no from you. Right? And that is a very frustrating experience for a lot of customers. Now, the way we've catered to that in the past is that over time, the bots get better. They learn, but they, they really learn by us measuring what are the things that people are saying in certain parts of the conversation that the bot did not understand, and then prompting the editor to uh, enter, enter this type of information, right? So for example, if a lot of people say, well, how would I know whether I'm a customer or not? Then you would provide a reply to that. Now, large language models have this base layer of conversation ability already built in, right? So if they know you are a, uh, you're a clinic, and the question has been asked whether you're an existing patient or not, then they will answer something like, well, if you've visited us before, you, you're probably an existing patient. But let me look you up. Uh, please give me your, your name uh, your, and, and phone number or something like that. Now, of course, you, you do run into the risk of it hallucinating an answer that is incorrect. Maybe you are not a patient if you visited the clinic before because the clinic has only just opened. Maybe you are an existing patient if you've signed up via mail or Right. And in this case, you need to provide the LLM such information so that it gives the right answer. And then it becomes an interesting mix of large language models, knowledge search, contextual management, and then how you put all of that together. Obviously, I can't go into the details because that that is really the IP of what we're doing. Right. But the result is an almost magical conversational experience where you have correct context and the, the right answers that are not just made up by the LLM, but that are actually relevant to that company or to that bot that you're dealing with. But the, the customer can of course like that. And you will not stumble as in like, oh, sorry, I don't understand that. Please give me a yes or no. Because I guess we can all agree that it's rather frustrating.
0: Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's a question from Richard, which I'm going to put to you, Hardy, in a moment. Um, before, Just before that, the, the, Concept of how you just explained it there is, is a is a a valid one. And I think it's a, that's a common philosophy from what I've observed so far with other kind of platforms and the way that lots of people are thinking about this, which is that you have the kind of platform infrastructure, which you've just described there as being the context management and stuff like that. And that is a real key component. And the large language model is almost used in support of that. So... Cognitive is managing the context of the conversation. cognitive has got all of the information around the, the, the state of the conversation as it stands, and it's pulling in a language model to help generate responses in potentially those areas where you mentioned a designer didn't think about or didn't find evidence of the requirement for a certain intent, which is kind of like I would say that in that model, the LLM is supporting the existing infrastructure, the existing architecture. When I spoke to Nick Frost from Cohere last week, he kind of said that, in his estimation, he sees that 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 kind of model being sort of context and platform on the top with LLMs underneath supporting. He sees that being flipped on its head in future, where actually the large language models will be driving the conversation and managing the context, and the platforms will be used as the fallback in case of a hallucination or in case of misinformation. Uh, do you think based on what you've been doing with, with LLMs that that approach is feasible, where everything's actually driven by the LLM first and foremost and additional features are used in support of the LLM uh, or or not?
1: Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's a bit of guesswork, right? Because we really don't know what capabilities LLMs will have and whether they're actually going to be LLMs at that point or whether they're going to be called something else. <clears throat> but, um, I mean, if we look at the definition that I gave earlier, that at the moment, LLMs are, are literally autocomplete tools, right? And, I mean, yes, they do have context, but, but you need to provide this context and it needs to be stored somewhere. I mean, an LLM is essentially a functional component. It does not store something from one input to, to the next. Right? You need to store the context somewhere. So you need to have an, an overarching layer that, that stores the context. So I actually don't see that uh, being a part of the of the LLM. Now, now you could say, well, but ChatGPT stores context. And yeah, that's because ChatGPT is not an LLM, right? It's a demo website where they re-inject again uh, what, what was already said in the conversation. That's how it maintains context. So. I, uh, I'm not sure whether, whether that's that's going to be um, the case. I do, however, think that there will be parts of conversations which are very structured, which do not require this super flexible moving around, right? Let's say authentication, right? You need to put in your customer number and you need to put in your date of birth and then it checks an API and sees whether you are a valid customer. You really don't need an LLM for that. Right? It's, not, it's not necessary. It's a structured process. Or at times, maybe the LLM also can't, can't find a good answer for you. Right? And um, one thing we are investigating is how to have structured uh, conversation fallback mechanisms in the platform. So you, let's say you're asking for three slots via the LLM, and the LLM somehow doesn't do it within three, uh, three tries. It can then fall back to a more a traditional approach. Right? So I think it's really going to go hand in hand. But yeah, of course. I mean, Nick uh, Nick is, is deeper into the whole research and, and development piece when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to uh, large language models. So certainly interesting to see what is going to come out uh, in the near future in terms of context management and also in terms of, of uh, the capability of these models in general. Mm,
0: interesting, interesting. Harry, let's 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 bring you in here. There's a couple of questions coming through here. It'd be good to get your perspectives on. Uh, so Richard's asking. Uh, beyond the agent assist model similar sort of question when i'm talking about you know llms driving the conversation and and other things being behind it so from an agent assist point of view do you think that at the moment obviously the human is supported by the ai or the, or the llm in this instance um do you see a way in which potentially those roles are reversed where actually it's the AI that's having most of the conversations with the human behind the scenes in support of the AI, in which case opening up a lot more kind of scalability because the one agent could potentially be monitoring three conversations, stepping sure. in sure. where required. Like how, how are you thinking about the, uh, think think some,
2: some of that augmentation already exists, but I, so I think that um, it, it will, yes, The short answer is yes. On I do think that that is a capability that you could see being used more widely. Um, although as the bots get smarter, um, hopefully the human <laughs> assistance would be less. The other thing I see is around live chat, which as you know, is the um, uh, outcome of a customer escalating beyond a human to machine interaction, where you could see, again, leveraging the agent assist type capability like Phil was talking about. You know, right now, a human is doing some number of chat live chats simultaneously and with the assistance of the uh, agent assist functionality they could certainly be able to handle more capacity so you're because they you know the the, the bots going to be assisting with accessing the information that the that the agent needs to respond to the customer more quickly so i see a couple of different two different angles on on the issue but uh, yeah i think i think both are will be uh, are applicable and will be even more readily uh, leverageable by virtue of the large language models
1: actually but may Quickly say some there? So, yeah, no. as Connie said in his first sentence, I mean, it's really not an LLM question. It's it's, it's a conversational AI question already. Like, how, how do we, so a conversational AI is holding the, the conversation with the customer, and then it, it's kind of stuck, and then uh, can we get an agent in to, to help out real quick? This is something we already have in the platform we've had for years, right, where we, we call it probably not a good name anymore we, we came up with it before it was a thing we call it one shot handover. <laughs> so uh, it's let's say a customer's being asked for for their zip code and then they're entering something that's not a zip code and then they do it again and you can define that after x tries and it can be after one try um, it's handed over silently to an agent well you can you can configure it whether it's silent or not but let's say you do it silent and then the agent will read, okay, the user put in, uh, I'm from uh, El Paso, Texas. And then you go like, okay, there's zip code, is 79936. So the agent can answer the question for the user, or they can ask something back to the user, of course, and, and keep uh, keep on with the conversation. Or they can answer it for the user and hand it back to the bot. And then the bot, even though, the, so the, the bot will all, all of a sudden seem really smart, because let's say they said, okay, what's your zip code? The user typed, uh, I live in El Paso, Texas. And then... The bot goes like, ah, oh, perfect, so you live in 79936. Right, let's continue. So mm-hmm. we we already have this type of, uh, well, we call it one-shot handover, but let's say instantaneous and silent escalation.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've come across that quite a few times, actually, the the human sort of in support. And, and in a voice setting, that's obviously becomes a lot more difficult because yes. you need to basically almost have the human what? If you, wanted to, if you wanted to have it like authentic from an experiential point of view, you'd need the human to be able to basically respond back in the same voice. So you'd need like a speech to speech, like re kind of solution, or you'd need a very quick typer that would type back into the TTS and That'd stuff like massive. that. The, the,
1: the difficulty is not the, not the voice because when you speak with a bot, they are already using text to speech. Now the silent handover in the voice case would to the agent not happen via voice, but it would happen via text. So the agent mm-hmm. types the answer and the bot speaks it with the same voice uh, as, as the bot was using. The problem is latency. Yeah.
0: Totally. Right? So
1: when you do it in the voice case, even in the chat case, I mean, it'll it'll take a couple of seconds for the agent to pick up the conversation, read what's going on, figure it out and, and do this. Let's say this takes 10 seconds on chat. This is kind of okay. On voice, uh, everyone will just hang up, right? Because there's mm-hmm. a latency. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do think
2: that though that as we continue to strive to improve customer experience, that harmonious balance of human to machine and human to human, as we're talking about here with some of these examples, is really, really important to continuing to move the art of the possible forward on creating superb customer experiences. So I'm I'm very bullish on on how this is going to help move that forward.
0: Mm, part of me thinks though that. The whole, and I am a total proponent of human and machines working together and that kind of one shot handover, as you described there, the first time I heard about that from any provider, I was just blown away. Like, isn't that fantastic? That's a perfect example of humans and technology working together to create better customer experiences. But the more I'm looking at large language models, the more I start to think to myself that... That is just not going to be needed. Like the other question here, forgive me, I can't see I can't see your name because it's coming from uh, another broadcast, either Hardys or Phil's, uh, We're saying basically, can you address from your point of view the importance of recognizing signals when the conversational AI needs to step aside and hand over to a human? And I'd it, be interested to get your thoughts on you know recognizing those signals now, probably based on X number of fallbacks or something like that. But more importantly, it seems to me that the more we infuse large language models into the conversation the less actually there's going to be a need for this human-in-the-loop situation and the more conversations are going to end up ultimately being resolved by the assistant itself without the need for that. So I know that's like a two-part question. Maybe we'll break it down by like current best practice for recognizing when to hand over first and then how that will change because of large language models. And Maybe it's Hardy will start with you and then we'll get Phil's thoughts.
2: I'm going to let Phil answer that, uh, but I'm going to make one comment on the contact center market since I'm the contact center. What'd you call me legend and veteran, (laughs) Uh, which is that based on the growth in the addressable market for conversational AI, which the entire addressable market is basically part of the contact center forecast. The assumption is, is that we're going to continue to your point to automate more and more of the customer interactions. Um, So, the, the short answer is yes, you're absolutely correct. Your instinct that we're gonna be able to do more and more um, and large language models are gonna be part of the catalyst for that. I think it's 100% accurate.
1: Yeah, I, I totally second that. I mean, the, 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 the reason why conversational AI platforms exist is uh, to, to increase what's called containment, right? So we want to handle as many customer interactions in a completely automated fashion as possible right which of course takes load off the contact centers and resolves issues for customers quicker which is really which is really what it's all about now getting to the to the question that was that was posted in the chat there. so there are various ways of currently detecting uh, frustration uh, we actually call it frustration in our platform as well so we have frustration markers that are informed by um, sentiment analysis, not just of the previous um, or the prior sentence, but also of the conversation as a whole. You can also integrate external sentiment analysis tools. But also in this is actually a, this is actually an advantage of conversation tree-based systems because you can you can map the path that was taken through the tree. And if someone has taken the same path three times, uh, right after another, you go like, okay, they're probably stuck. They're probably frustrated, right? And so we measure this frustration marker, and then based on a certain level of that frustration marker, you can then trigger an action, whether that's a handover to a human agent or whether it is pushing them onto a different
2: path or something like
1: that. Well, that's how it's traditionally been done. Now, with large language models, on the one hand, it becomes harder because you're no longer going through decision trees, right? But you just get the answer from the from the model back. But um, because of the way that they are built, you can actually instruct the model based on the conversation history to also give you a frustration score, right? You can say on a level from one to 10, how frustrated do you think this customer is now? Because you could run into hallucinations again where the customer's not frustrated at all and they're going like, well, I think it's a 10, right? But it depends on how you you write the prompts. But I think this brings up an interesting question. Um, Do we use, like when we talk about large language models, does it mean we have one large language model that does everything? Well, no, maybe we don't, right? Maybe we have one large language model that uh, extracts entities and, and matches uh, intents. And then we have another large language model that measures frustration. And then we have another large language model that is used to, um, to um, um, maintain the, the conversation, right? So I think the, the use of large language models will change how we're measuring frustration at the moment with a customer. But hopefully, as Kane says, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be so excited about it. Hopefully it will also um, reduce the number of times that this is actually necessary, that that we do need to hand over to a human because of a frustrated customer.
0: Mm, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Leticia Calito who's been on the podcast before, actually. Maxence, thank you for that. Uh, I agree. Kane. the beauty of chap ChatGPT is that it can correct itself without the handover to a human. The human behind the scenes is for learning only, not in the interaction itself. That's I think definitely where we're going to get to. And I think that you know the 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 question there around hallucination, like you take an intent based ch- uh, assistant and you give it a hundred prompts, it's probably going to misclassify five to ten of those prompts you know a 90 percent accurate model is decent enough in most cases so you can handle most cases and then you'll fall back on on some others and hopefully those fallbacks kind of get the conversation back on track and stuff like that but you know the, the you mentioned containment there i like to kind of use the, the phrase essentially successful conversations you could be contained and have a bad experience and not get the result that you need so so it's kind of like in, in that quest for successful conversations, there is inevitably things that don't quite go right. And some conversations aren't successful. You know, they, people drop out and get frustrated. So the question I kind of have, and I don't know if there's any kind of, it'd be interesting to see if you can do some studies on this, would be from a large language model perspective, what percentage of things that it generates include hallucinations? And what severity are those hallucinations? Because if it's not important like misclassifying an utterance in the grand scheme of things, it might break down that one conversation, but out of 5,000 conversations, if there's a handful that don't go quite to plan, then you're still getting benefit from the ones that are working. So like, I don't know if there if there's anything that can be done to figure out like one, what percentage of responses include hallucinations? And then two, what's the severity of those hallucinations? Because we might be kind of, I know there's a risk there when you let them out into the wild, but is, there, is, it, a, <clears throat> is it a large risk with a huge impact or not? Yeah. I don't know if you, what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. So I think you are, you are, you're comparing it to uh, NLU models that uh, classify a sentence into an intent and, and you say they're X percent wrong, yeah, say 10 percent. I'm not sure it's it's a valid comparison because the risk is is not in misclassifying an input the risk is in creating a harmful output mm-hmm. right and that's the thing with with um, with the bots that we currently have where the outputs are pre-scripted the companies and for our case large enterprises know exactly what's going to come out the content has been vetted by compliance lawyers etc cetera, etc cetera. they know exactly what's going to come out now, you can imagine if someone finds a way to, there's all these threats on Reddit, right? Jailbreaking, uh, chat GPT, mm-hmm. etc. If you can, this, this means you can jailbreak the underlying models as in making the models say stuff they shouldn't say. Now, if you are the largest insurance company in the world and uh, someone can get your model to spit out uh, some harmful content, which might be, stock market predictions or something extremely rude or racist the impact on your company even if it only does that in 0.01 percent of conversations if they make their way to the media is um, is much much higher than misclassifying uh, an intent so we, we need to we need to be careful there now the fun thing is you can actually have the llm generate content and then you use the LLM in a different prompt to validate whether it's harmful content, right? So you
0: can mm-hmm. say, generate
1: this. And then it says, yeah, the stock price tomorrow is going to be $112.50, even though it's actually only going to be 50 cents. And then you go like, please classify whether this is, a, is an output that could be harmful uh, to our business. And see, so, yeah, this could be harmful. Okay, I'm not going to output it, right? So, mm. But this is it's, it's a very interesting problem. and something that, of course, nobody really thought about even two months ago. But um mm-hmm. So there, there, is a, there is an inherent risk there, and that's also why my prediction is that when it comes to GPT-4, everyone talks about the 100 trillion parameters, whatever. And, and maybe yeah. it has 100 trillion parameters or not, but I don't think that's going to make the big difference, right? Because, I mean, GPT, the way it is right now, GPT-3 is already fantastic, right? The biggest shortcoming with GPT right now is the propensity to hallucinate information that you really don't want it to output, now, you can, to your question, measure the rate of the hallucination of an output. It actually delivers this information back as a numerical array as well. So it, it delivers a, a, an array back that tells you how sure it was to place this next word into it, right? And um, so you can measure that, and you can actually then use a conversational platform to say, okay, I'm not going to output a sentence if it has an hallucination factor of whatever, right? point eight or something like that. Mm. But I think when it comes to GPT-4 and, and other large language models in the future, the ability to influence how much, how freely you want the LLM to answer, this is going to be key, especially for enterprise adoption. right? Because most of our customers, when, once it comes to freely speaking, um, will be very um, careful. And yes, you can use a conversational AI platform like G to rein it in so that the the likelihood that it hallucinates, it's it's minimized, right? But because, I mean, let's be frank, this is the, the first real LLM that we've seen out in the wild, right? We're going to see thousands more in the future. There still is that risk at the moment, and we are openly telling that everyone. And, and quite frankly, I think this is a risk to the market where others are not telling, and then there are negative experiences coming from that. So I think, I hope that we as a market can be realistic about this see the future potential, but also highlight the risk at the current level of technology.
0: Mm, absolutely. And it's it's worth further explanation. I'd, I'd like to see um, maybe something we could do potentially is to do a study into percentage of interactions that result in hallucinations and then being able to rate the severity of the hallucination. You know, because I know obviously the large insurance company you mentioned, one severe mistake is bad enough. Like that time when Alexa told someone, yeah, you should probably kill yourself. You know, that's kind of like a bad, really, really bad example. And it only needs to happen once for it to have a really bad impact. Um, So I'd just be curious about, you know, like what are the risks? Because there's a risk of it hallucinating, but then there's the impact of it being really, really bad. And if, if it hallucinates often enough, but it's not with a great deal of severity, potentially having that information would encourage people oh, to maybe right. give things a go so it,
1: it, it comes with this information I mean we have to also say what is an hallucination right I mean the whole sentence is always hallucinated it's yeah, an, right. it's just, what's an hallucination it's making something up right so it, it, it's making this up and then you can measure the probability of all the tokens and try to get to okay how sure was it that this is actually factually correct information and so th- this is measurable already and and again, you can use this as a parameter to then say, "Do I want to output that or not but it is it is interesting it's an interesting thought actually having having a study about that let's say depending on the topic and depending on what context you you inject, how unsure is it right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: and then again if if it is outputting something where it is very unsure, what do you do then? Like you need a fallback and that needs yeah. to be a fallback then, right?
0: yeah absolutely absolutely wicked well gents it's been absolutely fantastic i know we've got a couple of comments still there in, in the uh in the chat there perhaps we can get to that uh in the comments on linkedin afterwards and we can we can potentially respond there i know that we're, we're a little bit over time here but uh thank you so much for joining me this is really really interesting um ladies and gentlemen boys and girls do go to Cognigy.com to check this out i believe that it's a, you can register for free can't you and get a free trial or something like that of the platform on the website uh, so go to Cognige, C-O-G-N-I-G-E.com uh, to learn more. And do go as well to the theeuropeanchatbot.com to get your tickets for the European Chatbot Summit on March 15th and 16th. Uh, promo code VUXEU23 to save 30%. Phil Hardy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Really, really interesting stuff. Uh, I think that, you know, your kind of approach to in- integrating large language models is is different and also responsible. I think you're right, touching on at the end there, to be able to do this in a way that mitigates risks and also in doing it in an ethical way and not going completely gung-ho about it is, is a sensible move. I think we're gonna see a lot of companies in 2023 experiment with these limits and figure out like, where is the balance and how comfortable are we using these things in production? Probably being more on the, on the generation creation side, first and foremost, generate sample utterances, generate like randomized responses that we can edit and stuff like that, classify uh, entities and stuff. But it'd be interesting to see when we start getting into like generative in production, you know, I think, uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing more about that. Maybe Phil towards the back end of the year, you might have an opportunity to uh, to claim oh. your third appearance cap and share the latest at the end of the year.
1: So'll get it before the podcast or afterwards, we so I get it before then I can wear it on the podcast. Yeah. Exactly,
0: yeah, yeah, let's do that. Once it's booked in, yeah we'll we'll, uh, we'll sort it out. <clears throat> these are actually quite exclusive. These run out in uh, in December you can't get you can't get these caps for the money at the moment, uh, let alone with the VOX printed on top. so uh, so there you go. Great, nice one. Cool. Thank you guys. really appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you so perfect. much. You very really, really good Enjoy. and thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one cheers now